Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Anyone um, put their Christmas up, Christmas tree up like before December in November? Yes, a few, yes. Uh, how early? Are we talking, yes, early December? Early December? November. Oh, November, sorry. Early November? Early November? Earlier than November? October. Georgia wins. Wow. I, unless anyone else can beat that. Oh, that's, um, that's very impressive. We went and got our, you know, we went to the Rotary, got our real Christmas tree yesterday. We put it up. It's got nothing on it, but we have a Christmas tree, which is good. Um, but we are in the season of Advent. And it's a really important season for uh, the church uh, throughout history. And it's a season of, Advent means expectation or waiting. And it's the expectation, the lead up to Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, a really important time in uh, the church calendar. And I love this little simple practice um, of lighting the Advent candles, one for each theme of Christmas, hope, peace, joy, and love. And um, there's something just so beautiful about just that little tradition. Very simple. It's just a candle, but it reminds us of the constant presence of the hope that Jesus brings, which is really, really uh, awesome. Um, The best way I think about explaining Advent is um, I hate flying. I'm not scared of it. I just hate the, like, lines and, like, being cramped in and the long flights. Like, I just, I, I hate it. Um, and I don't understand the sort of people that, you know, when they call to, like, board the plane, the people that go first, like, why would you want to spend any more time on that toothpaste, toothpaste tube that flies in the sky, stuck between people? Um, but the thing that I don't understand is when you land, particularly when you land at Sydney, you, like, taxi in forever, it takes, like, 40 minutes, and then you finally go, and they turn the seatbelt sign off, and everyone stands up, even though they know it's going to be, like, another 15 minutes before anyone moves, and you're just all awkwardly standing. Um, and for me, like, that's a good picture of the Advent season, is that, like, standing, a changing of posture, ready, expecting the doors to be open. And that's kind of what we're doing here. We're standing our souls on attention for the arrival of Jesus. We celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but we anticipate that Jesus is going to come again and bring his kingdom in full and make the world right and restore all things. And that is our great hope as, as followers of Jesus. And so over the next three weeks, uh, we're doing a series called Prepare the Way. Prepare the Way. And we're going to focus on, for the next three weeks, a character of the Christmas story that often goes overlooked. Uh, We often talk about Mary and Joseph. We talk about the wise men. We talk about the angels. We even talk about the animals, which aren't actually really in there, but we talk about them. Um, But the character that goes overlooked, um, Jesus called this character the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven. A very big call. There's a dude called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was in every single gospel, All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, to put that into perspective, the birth of Jesus, Christmas, is only in two of the Gospels. And so there's something about John the Baptist that is really important to the Gospels, which are the life 
the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's something about this, this man, this person, who Jesus calls the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, that is worth spending a little bit of time on. And so we're going to start this morning in Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to read Matthew chapter 3. And I want to talk about these two themes of John the Baptist, the barrenness and the wilderness. The barrenness and the, the wilderness. Let's start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was a king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So they were priests, like that was their job. They worked in the temple. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. They were, had right relationship in God's eyes, careful to obey all the, command, all, the, all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his, his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. <coughs> While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. This is the most common uh, reaction when people see an angel. We think about an angel and fluffy wings, but people were like scared to their knees. Um, and often, this is what angels say the first thing, don't be afraid. Like, it's, I know I look scary, but don't, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or, or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Jeremy Jones came up to me after the last gathering. He said, you missed a great joke. Before John the Baptist was Baptist, he was a Pentecostal. He was filled with the Spirit. He's like, that's like most people at Greenhouse, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> and he will turn many Israelites from the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, it's really important to know then when we're talking about the Christmas story, it's not the start of the story. There is two-thirds of the Bible already written. There is this, like, story after story of the people of God already. And often, when you read through Scripture, particularly the New Testament, there are all sorts of ways that they're pointing back to the story. They're pointing back to themes and ideas and topics that have come up already. Elijah was one of those. Uh, he was a great prophet. He did all these crazy miracles. But Elijah was most famous for the Jewish people because he didn't die. He was taken up uh, into heaven, into the clouds, uh, in a chariot. And so there became a rumor that Elijah would come again because he didn't die. He was going to return and he was going to make way for the kingdom of God. Uh, in fact, uh, the last uh, book in the Old Testament, at least in the Christian tradition, is Malachi. And the very last thing Malachi talks about is the return of Elijah. And this is the direct quote, actually, that we see in Luke here. Uh, this is written 400 years earlier, and this is what he's quoting. He said, uh, He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. 
And so there is this idea that Elijah is returning again to prepare a way for the Lord. And this scripture tells us that John, this is coming through the angel, that he's going to have the spirit and the power. He's going to operate like Elijah did. He's going to prepare the way. He's pointing to that, that uh, Malachi chapter and saying, this is the beginning of something. Something's going on here. Um, but I want to point you back to uh, verse 7. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, all through, this, all through the Old Testament, you know, if you're a good Jew and you're reading your Old Testament, you memorize it as a child, you would immediately hear that and you would think to all the key figures, all the key female figures, all through the biblical story that were unable to conceive. It's, it comes up time and time and time again. The most prominent ones that you would think of, you would go right back to Genesis. And there was Abraham, who was the father of uh, Israel, the kind of patriarch of the family. He had a wife. Her name was Sarah. And she was unable to conceive because she was old. She didn't have a baby in her time. And um, an angel said, you're going to have a baby. The Lord appeared, you're going to have a baby. And, he, and you're going to have a multitude of sons. And um, miraculously, she does give birth. And she gives birth um, to, uh, to Jacob, uh, to Isaac, sorry. And Isaac grows up. He gets a wife. Her name's Rebecca. And funnily, funnily enough, uh, she's not able to conceive either. And then through miraculous means, she gives birth to a baby named Jacob, who later his name gets um, turned to Israel. He becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel grows, grows up. Jacob grows up. He also has a wife, and her name is Rachel. And would you believe it? She has trouble conceiving as well. And eventually, at the end of her life, towards the end, she's able to have these two children, Joseph and Benjamin, which become Israel's favorite kids. And so right now, this idea that uh, Elizabeth is unable to conceive, but John is going to come from her womb, there's going to become fruitfulness from barrenness, um, is already tying you back to the fact that God has done this before. And he did it before when he was creating a new family, when he was creating the nation of Israel. He did it through the three kind of patriarchs of, of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you're already thinking, okay, there's something new going on here. That God, God is birthing something new. And it should even take you further back to the first two pages of the Bible. It talks about um, humans' role was to be fruitful and to multiply to take the world somewhere, to have kids, to create family, but also to just bring the best out of the world, to garden the world, to cultivate the world. And so you see this like recapturing of our original intention and God bringing fruitfulness, children, family out of barrenness. And so you already know that there's something going on here. There's something brewing here in the Christmas story. You want to turn me with me to Matthew chapter 3. And this is when John's grown up a little bit. And the start of his, his ministry, it says this in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness. Remember that word, wilderness. And he began preaching. His message was this. Repent of your sins. Repent means just to turn, change your mind. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, and this is a quote from Isaiah the prophet, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. 
John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, the place that this is happening is really important. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. And again, if you're, um, if you're a Jew particularly, uh, if you know your Bible, you're drawn to all the times where people spent time in the wilderness. It's time of testing. Elijah, funnily enough, spent 40 days in the wilderness. But the most prominent thing you'd be drawn to was the time that Israel, after they were freed from uh, slavery in Egypt, were in the wilderness for 40 years. Wandering, God gave the law, it's like this kind of covenant, this like marriage partnership between God and his people. And they're wandering for 40 years until they get to the promised land. And does anyone know where they crossed, what river they crossed to get into the promised land? The Jordan, which funnily enough, is where John is baptizing people. So there's a very political thing going on here. John is out in the wilderness, so he's tying people back to this, this time of wandering, wandering. But he's at the Jordan River where the people entered into the promised land. And he's, he's saying this, repent, the kingdom of God is near. There is a new government coming. There's something new, new coming. In other words, what he's saying is the current system like, isn't cutting it. The Romans had come in. They'd occupied Israel. Um, the religious system was a little bit wonky. And so John is here. He's like a political activist saying, we're starting this country again. And he's putting people through the Jordan Valley, through the, through the Jordan River, cleansing them, washing them, cleaning the slate as they enter back into the promised land. Very, very political, would evoke lots, lots of um, emotion, um, and eventually the powers that be had John killed because he was very political in this sense. A fresh start, a home out of a place of wilderness. And I love that the, the story of John starts in these two places that tie us back to the old stories of barrenness and wilderness, that we are to prepare the way, John's to prepare the way for the coming king who is going to bring fruitfulness out of barrenness and is going to bring home out of wilderness. And not fruitfulness in the sense of like natural biology or kids necessarily, but a spiritual family. And not brick and mortar as a home necessarily, but a spiritual home, a kingdom family and a kingdom home. There is something new going on here. The kingdom of God is near. And eventually the king comes, Jesus, and we see the story. But John's role in that is to prepare the way, to make the road clear. Um, I picture this. Um, I love the Winter Olympics. Any Winter Olympics fans out there? Okay, there's, there's two. There was only one in the last gathering, and there was like three times as many people, so I don't know what's going on. But my favorite sport in the Winter Olympics is curling, which is a great sport because I watch it and I have no idea what's happening. I can sort of understand what's happening. But my favorite person, obviously, is the, the sweeper, the dude who's like in front of the, I don't even know what you call the thing, but the thing is going down the, the icy 10-pin bowling lane. And uh, there's a sweeper, and he's just sweeping in front of the thing. I don't know what you call that thing, the ball, the puck, the massive puck. What's it called? Puck? I like puck. That's good. Stone. Stone. Okay. I like puck. Big puck. The big puck is coming down the icy 10-pin bowling lane, and there's a dude preparing the way. 
And I was talking to um, a, a Mikey, who's Canadian, in the, after the first gathering. He's, he said he grew up and he had to do it in, in PE class. And uh, he said no one passed the class because it's so hard. But the sweep um, melts the ice. And so obviously the, the big puck goes faster when you sweep in front of it. Prepare the way. Smooth it out. And that's kind of what John the Baptist is. He's a sweeper. He's like preparing the way. He's smoothing out. He's like out there in the wilderness. He's running this big kind of activist political campaign saying there is a new king coming. Eventually the new king does come in Jesus. He brings barrenness. Um, he brings life from barrenness and home from wilderness. And we are in the hope week of Advent. And John the Baptist is a prophet of hope. He's saying that there is a new thing coming. N.T. Wright, I love this quote, he says, hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. Hope's what you get when you suddenly realize that there's something different is possible. Um, and John is speaking to a Israelite people who are hopeless right now. For 400 years, uh, it'd been 400 years since the last kind of prophet spoke. They are occupied by this kind of monolithic, huge empire. Their religious system is a little bit wonky. And they're wondering, you know, did God forget about us? They're expecting this Messiah, but he just hasn't come. They are hopeless. There had been a few rebellions in the, in the past decades where people tried to overthrow the Romans and it was just crushed, like violently and brutally. You can just feel the like, hopelessness in these people. And all of a sudden, John bursts on the scene and he's saying, the kingdom of God is near. Let's get ready. Let's, let's go through the river again. Let's fresh start, start afresh. He's going to bring life out of barrenness. He's going to bring home out of wilderness. I love that. Dave Tomlinson says this, um, hope is defiant imagination. Defiant imagination. That in the face of chaos around you, you imagine a better future. You know that there is, like a, there is something, there is a bigger story at, at play. And even in kind of the, the Advent season we find ourselves in, the kind of consumeristic grab of events and buying presents and um, trying to find a parking spot at Bay Village or Erin Affair, um, in the chaos of when you're scrolling through your, your social feeds and you see the wars going on and terrible atrocities around the world, there's an environmental disasters, there's rising cost of living, um, of every event known to man is in December, um, but then, add on that, we've all got our personal crises, you know, uh, individual things going on, a lost job, a relationship that has broken up, tough life at home, a grief, a loss. In the face of that, hope is a defiant imagination that the kingdom of heaven is near. Like there's something else is possible. The king is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. He's bringing fruitfulness from barrenness. He's bringing home from wilderness. He's bringing kingdom family and kingdom home, spiritual family and spiritual home. And so this advent to the barrenness that you find in your own soul, advent is hope. The kingdom of God is near. Prepare the way of the Lord, to the parts of you that feel dry right now. Advent is hope. Prepare the way. The kingdom is near. To the parts of you that feel lost, lonely, disoriented, 
not knowing where the next path leads. Advent is hope. Prepare the way for the Lord. The kingdom is near. And as we embark upon this Advent season, we remind ourselves that we are a people of hope, that we find ourselves in a bigger story, that Jesus is going to return and he is going to restore things. He is going to make the world right. He is going to wipe away every tear and there'll be no sickness or hurting or pain. Hope is on the horizon. Advent is hope. The kingdom is near. Prepare the way. Thank you.